So to the title of today's message is Acts of Yeshua's Emissaries, which are the Shalakim, the called out ones, and we've been all called out. And as we've been going through the book of Acts here, we see how God has equipped certain individuals. Notice this, all the giftings of the Spirit, all the callings of God is ordained by God. He breathes and gives all these gifts to us. We don't choose. We're not educated or earn it on ourselves, but we simply receive what the Spirit is doing. And as a father builds his kingdom, he pours out these gifts upon the ones, those chosen vessels. He does the choosing. You and I do not. And to know this, whatever spiritual gift that God has given to us, we should delight in that. And know this, that's part of our calling, to use those gifts to proclaim the kingdom and to build up one another in, our, in God's holy faith, putting our full trust in Messiah Yeshua. So let us begin in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, and I encourage you many, many times to print off or actually have a, a Bible book of an atlas. There's Bible atlases which have maps on it. So you can see where these places are. These were significant, significant to the Ruach HaKodesh that he spoke directly to Luke, who was the one that penned the book of Acts. And he wanted this to be a literal history so that we would know that these are real people that lived in real places, just as we are real people today, and we live in real places. And those places that we currently live, and we as people, have great significance unto God. Because why else would he send his son to die on our a place if we were not precious in his sight? So let us continue. Verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, Shaul, some of your translation call him by his English transliterated name, Paul, completed his travels through the inland country and arrived at, at Ephesus. So if you look on your map, you can find Corinth, and then you can see here where Ephesus is, where he found a few Talmudim, that is disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Ruach HaKodesh? In other Bible translations, it says this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to trust? Trust in what? Judaism? Trust in the revelation that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he had died and he has risen from the dead. No, they said to him, we have never heard that there is such a thing as the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Notice this in the prior verse there. These are disciples. These are individuals who come to the full knowledge that Yeshua is the Messiah, but they have not received the Ruach HaKodesh at this time. Let's continue in verse 3. In that case, he said, into what were you immersed? What were you baptized in? The immersion of Yohanan. Now, who was Yohanan? Yohanan was Yeshua's cousin, 
A lot of us know him by the name of John the Baptist. And what was John's baptism preparing people for? But the revealing of who Messiah Yeshua is. So this was a preparation. And what was Yohanan the Immerser, John the Baptist's whole ministry about? But making the path clear. Calling out people of the nation of Israel to sin and to repentance and to do teshuva and to go under what? The waters of the mikvah, the waters of immersion. So let us continue here in verse 3. In that case, he said, into what were you immersed? The immersion of Yohanan, they answered. Saul said, Yohanan practiced an immersion in connection with turning from sin to God. So what is our message to the world today? Turn from your sins. You're falling short of the glory of God. And now go to him. Is that not a simple message? See, right now, there are believers who are fighting over politics. But what is our focus to be on right now? Not politics, but speaking to people to turn from their sins and turn them not to ourselves, not to our denomination, not to our doctrine, but turn them to God. Because where does redemption come from? Not from a certain congregation, not from a certain doctrine, but it comes from God. We are turning them to the source, to God. Verse 4, once again. Shaul said to Yohanan, practice an immersion and connection from turning from sin to God. But he told the people to put their trust in one who would come after him. So he's introducing this to them, that the Mashiach, the Messiah, is about to appear. And what happened one day? While Yohanan was immersing the people under the water, Jewish people in the land of Israel, they were going, preparing their hearts to receive Messiah. What happened? But Messiah Yeshua appeared, and he came to him. And he and Yohanan said, wait a second, I can't immerse you. But Yeshua said to fulfill all righteousness, to show the people that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except through what? Yeshua's example. That Yeshua submitted himself, though he be without no sin, he submitted himself to the waters of immersion so he could show and demonstrate through his life the way to the Father. Let's continue here. Verse 4, but he told the people to put their trust in the one who would come after him. And that is what? One person. And what is his name in Hebrew? It's Yeshua. In English, it's Jesus. Let's go forward to verse 5. On hearing this, they were immersed 
in the name of the Lord Yeshua. All right. And so with this, we see the pattern, the way that someone can come to know and receive the Ruach HaKodesh. Let's go forward here. And when Shaul placed his hands upon them, why was he placing his hands upon them? Yes, to pray, but who dwelt in Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul? But the Ruach HaKodesh. When Yeshua, when he was about to ascend to the Father, he breathed before he died. And he said, now receive the Ruach. And he breathed upon his Talmudim as a promise. But when, when, but when did the Ruach HaKodesh come upon the people, his Talmudim? But in Acts chapter 4, verses 2, Chapter 2, verses 4, I said it backwards. It's that time when the Ruach HaKodesh descended upon them. Because Yeshua had to be lifted away from the scene. And then he sent his what? His own spirit. Notice the significance here. Here is a member of God's people, an emissary, a shalakim, an apostle. In English. And what does he do? He lays his hands upon them. You know, in scripture, it says for us to be wise and not to suddenly lay our hands upon other individuals. This is to be a leading of the spirit of the living God. So who is speaking to Rav Shaul now? But the spirit of the living God. Because I believe this, the spirit of the living God has examined these Talmudim that are standing before Rav Shaul. And the spirit of living God is compelling Rav Shaul to lay his hands upon them. See, Rav Shaul is not doing things that he used to do in the past by his own thought process or anything else. He's listening to the spirit of the living God. He's learning to do no more or no less as the spirit of the living God leads him. And you know what we need today in this current pandemic? is not to hear, listen to all these voices, but we're to be tuned in to what the spirit of the living God is saying, is telling us what to say and telling us what to do. That's, we are to be what? People who are being led by the spirit. Because what did, did not Yeshua say to that woman who was a Samaritan upon that mountain? He said, those who are mine shall be led by, will walk in spirit and in truth. Let's get back to the scripture here. Verse 6, and when Shaul placed his hands upon them, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, came upon them. And what happened? Instantaneously, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. What happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4? The same thing. Okay? Now, the Spirit of the living God in this moment, at such a time as this, gave them that gift of speaking in tongues and prophesying. Some of us have experienced that in our lives. All right? 
and some have not. We do not sit in judgment for or against people who speak in tongues and who do not speak in tongues. But here, this is a sign that God has established in his word of someone who's being filled with the spirit of the living God is through the evidence here of the speaking in tongues and prophesying. All right. And so we don't judge anyone who's part of God's family who do not speak in tongues or those who do speak in tongues. Because the speaking of tongues is this. It is speaking out God's word, being led by the spirit of the living God. And I know this, how to judge and discern whether or not someone's speaking in tongues appropriately or not in giving proper interpretation the Spirit of the living God will never speak against what is already written in God's Word. See, the Spirit of the living God is not off unto himself. And the giftings that are given by the Spirit of God lines up. And I'm lifting up right now for those of you in the podcast, a Bible. And I'm telling you this, God the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, will not ever lead us into error. And you know, the gift of tongues and all these spiritual manifestations are for equipping and in strengthening the body of Messiah and the kingdom of God as a whole. It's not for the glorification of a man or a woman, but it's for the purpose of of edifying and building God's kingdom. Let's move forward here. So they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I get jealous sometimes. You know what's not written here? What they were prophesying about. And what they were speaking in tongues about. But you, you know this? There are times when I get inquisitive about certain things. You know what the Spirit says to me? Frank, enough. Focus on what I want you to focus on. Otherwise, we can get so sidetracked on other issues. And we can waste God's precious time that he's allowed us to live upon this earth. So let's move forward here. In all, there were about 12 of these men. When I read that for the first time, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Did not Yeshua have 12 individuals? You know, we can now, now I could go off the path right here. And just go way off over here. The Spirit is just recording through Luke, who's writing down these words, that there happen to be 12 men. All right? It doesn't give any other greater or lesser significance of that. That means it's time to move on. Let's now move on to verse number eight. Shaul went into the synagogue. Notice that. He did not go into his local Roman Catholic church, his Baptist church, his Lutheran church, etc. Why? Because they did not exist. So where are God's people? They're in the synagogue of that day. Those that had the revelation that God had a redemption plan for the whole wide world wasn't in the pagan temples. It was in the synagogues. Let's go forward here. Shaul, verse 8. Shaul went into the synagogue 
for three months, he spoke out boldly. Notice that. For three months. There's other occasions he walks in the synagogue, he begins speaking, then someone gets irritated, gets in an argument. But you know what? The anointing was on him at such. And the hearts and the minds of the people that were dwelling in that synagogue, their hearts were prepared. By whom? By the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. Let's go forward here. Shaul went into the synagogue and for three months he spoke out boldly, engaging in dialogue and trying to persuade the people about what? About the kingdom of God. What are we to be focused on right now? What is God's calling upon us on this earth? It's his kingdom. And proclaiming and sharing about his kingdom. You know what? All nations will one day cease. All political parties will one day be no more. But what are we to be focused on? The kingdom of God. Is that your focus right now? Are we to pray for those that are soon to be elected? Absolutely. Are we to cast our votes and then inquire how the spirit of the living God? Is there times, you know what, when I opened up my ballot on these judges? I don't know about these judges. Here's two names. I simply prayed and asked, Ruach HaKodesh, show me who I am to vote for. And I cast my vote. As for senators and congressmen, yeah, I know what they're about. And I chose the most biblical person, what they believe. Because one day I'm going to have to give an account on how I live my life, what I've said, every word, just think about this, my brothers and sisters, every word that we've ever spoken, we're going to have to one day give an account for it. Every thought that we've had, every word that we should have said, but we did not say, we're going to have to give an account. Every action that I've done and those actions that I did not do, I'm going to have to give an account. Let's go forward now back to the scripture. He persuaded the people. And who are the people in, in the synagogue? They're both Jews and proselytes, those who converted to Judaism. And there are those who are the God-fearers. you got three different groups of people who are there at the synagogue or in the courtyard of the synagogue and listening to what? They're listening to the word of God being proclaimed. They're listening to the Torah being illuminated to them and receiving revelation from a rabbi who is filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. Their doctrines and beliefs that they had interpretations of Torah that they believed up to a certain point, but now by the power of the Spirit of the living God, they're receiving a brand new revelation 
and it's literally blowing their minds. They're beginning to see and understand that this individual whose name is Yeshua, Rav Shaul is going through the whole Tanakh and he's laying line upon line, precept upon precept and saying, well, here he is. Here's Yeshua. And this is how he lived. And this is how he died. And this was part of God's redemption plan. That to the Jew first would come salvation. And then later to the nations. Can you imagine the tears that were flowing in both these Jewish people, both men and women, the proselytes who had left their pagan religions, and these God-fearers that were going through the, the uh, transformation there of coming to know who Messiah is. This was all a blessing for them to have this revelation. You know what? But the Spirit of the living God doesn't go into all that detail here. Let's go continue here. Verse 9. But some began hardening themselves and refusing to listen. Notice that word. That's basically saying this. Well, what you just said, Rav Shaul, Rabbi Saul, I don't agree with that. I don't believe in that doctrine. I don't believe in your interpretation of Torah. And notice that they start hardening themselves. Because you know who's knocking at their heart right now? But the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. See, Rav Shul's not speaking on his own accord. By his own authority. He is what? A emissary. And the emissary is just this, a messenger who's sent from someone in authority. Who's the one in authority? But Abba, Father God. And here is his redemption plan. And who comes, who needs to come to a saving knowledge of Messiah Yeshua? Those Jewish men and women who dwell within that synagogue. Those proselytes, those Gentiles who have converted, males who converted, went through the rite of Brit Milah, went under the waters of Mikvah to become Jewish, to convert. And also those God-fearers, those who are in the process of leaving paganism. Because paganism fails. You know what's amazing? What's happening in Europe? Paganism is coming back. What's happening in America? Paganism is coming back. But it is fruitless. And it leads to destruction. Let's go forward here. Verse 9. But some began hardening themselves and refusing to listen. When these... This started when these, these there are the people that are hardening their hearts and not listening. When these started defaming the way, what is the way? The way is this, Yeshua. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Yeshua. He said the word me. But that's, he was speaking. Let's go forward. Defaming the way before the whole synagogue. The way to the Father. The way, the way of redemption. 
See, these Jewish people were rejecting this revelation, were re rejecting their calling as being a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. Let's go forward here. Shaul withdrew. I believe this, that the spirit of the living God spoke to his heart and said, I now I want you to step back. Let's hear the second part of the verse here. He took the Talmudim. Who are the Talmudim here? Those who came to a saving knowledge of who Messiah Yeshua is. And they were members of the synagogue. And so he took them with him. Notice this. For three months, he's speaking out boldly. And so there's transformation. There were men and women of both Jews, both Male and female came coming to a saving knowledge of Messiah. There were also proselytes, those who converted from paganism to Judaism, both male and female, who were coming to a saving knowledge of Messiah Yeshua. And thirdly, there were those who were the God-fearers. Remember Cornelius? He was a God-fearer. They came to a full saving knowledge of who Messiah Yeshua is. Let's move forward here. He took the Talmudim with him, and he commenced holding daily dialogues. Where? Tyrannus's yeshiva. Some of you have school in your translation. And what is a yeshiva? Yeshiva is a house of study. And what do they study? Matthew through Revelation? No, because it has not been written yet. They're studying from Bereshit, which is Genesis, through Malachi, or in some translations, it's Second Chronicles. But it's all the Old Testament. Let's go forward now to verse 10. This went on for how long? Two years. See, we could read over that very, very quickly. They And then a Shiva is a place where you have a Beit Midrash, where Rasha would stand up. And then he would expound, he would, he'd read, the, read the, what the Tanakh says, and then he would expound upon that. Then he would sit down, and then others would step forward. And you know what? They would begin discussing, dialogue. There would be debates going on. So for two full years, they went to yeshiva school, this Talmudim. And what is he doing? He's training them up. He's building them in their faith. He's establishing God's redemption plan in them. He's raising up elders in this midst of this, and he's building God's kingdom. Otherwise, he would have been just so focused on, in that synagogue, just arguing. Would any Talmudim be made? Would they have this opportunity of two full years of instruction? If he continued debating every day in the synagogue, you see, Rashul was learning. We notice in the other portion of Acts, he would have other Talmudim there alongside with him, and he would do the debates, debates, debates. Then he'd get upset. They would expel him from the synagogue, but then the Talmudim would go back in the synagogue, and they would begin to train and teach and train and teach. And notice this. He's raising up Timothy. Apollos is being raised up. Priscilla and Aquila are being raised up. 
to build the kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is not to be built by one or two or three individuals. That's why God in his word has said, you are to do what? You're to proclaim the good news to the world. And you're to do what? Make Talmudim. You are to make disciples. Now, is that just for the rabbi or the pastor or the elders or the deacons to do? No, it's for all believers to do. To share the hope that's within them. And what does this world need more than any other time during this pandemic? For us to let our light so shine before all people that they will see the works of the Father being manifested in and through us so that we can build God's kingdom. Let's move forward here. Verse 10. This went on for two years so that everyone, both Jews and Greeks, living living in the providence of Asia, look at your maps. Can you find Asia again? Heard the message about what? The Lord Yeshua. What was Rav Shaul's, the Apostle Paul, was he promoting himself? No. He was promoting Yeshua as Lord. Who are we to be promoting? Yeshua as Lord. Let's go forward here. God did ex- extraordinary miracles through Shaul. Why did he do it? To reveal God's healing power. Not that people would then go to, to Rav Shul and say, well, this is a great man of God. And let's send him all our money. Let's, let's build him a, 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 pa- a palace here. And now let's now go and worship at this God-man, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul. He wouldn't have nothing to do with that. They were to build the kingdom. Notice this, Rav Shaul doesn't necessarily have to have a building. All that he needs is people to proclaim the good news, to disciple them, to train them, and then what? To send them out. Let's go forward here. Verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Shaul. For instance, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were brought to the sick people. They would recover from their ailments and the evil spirits would leave them. Now, where did they get these handkerchiefs from Rav Shaul? Why? Because remember earlier in chapter 18, what was the work that he did to help provide for himself? He made tents, all right? Or some people said that he made tallits. I believe this. He probably made tents and tallits simultaneously. And so he would wear aprons, all right? Just like as you see people today, you see chefs are wearing aprons. Other people, they wear a different coat as they work in a lab, all right? He's working out in the elements. There might be a lean-to that he's working underneath, all right? Because he doesn't own a building. He's in the marketplace. And what happens in a very warm climate when you're working, where you're busy, physically working? You, you begin to sweat, do you not? 
And so now these handkerchiefs were probably some handkerchiefs he used and he threw them in a pile. All right. But now we see some of these people who are his own Talmudine. They see the presence of the living God on this man to such an extent that they start taking these handkerchiefs and they take these old worn out aprons and instead of making them into rags, they start bringing these to sick people. And any of these sick people or these people who are demonically possessed, the evil spirit leaves them. Now, did, did then Rob Shul start a brand new business and start selling the, his, these handkerchiefs so he can buy himself another airplane or another mansion? Or, or did he go on the internet, which did not exist at that time, and start marketing these aprons? No. Let's move forward here. Verse 13. Some Jewish exorcists who traveled from place to place to make use of the name Lord Yeshua in connection with people who had evil spirits, they would say, I exercise you by Yeshua that Shaul now is proclaiming. Okay, notice this. These individuals had seen that there was power in the name of Yeshua. And that Rashaul and others, by speaking out that name, demonic spirits were exercised. Simplified, the spirit would leave that person that was afflicted. And so they thought this could be a magical name, a power that they could use, like a, an amulet. Let's go forward here. One time, seven sons of a Jew, Jewish Kohen Gadol named Sceva were doing this. And notice this, the Spirit of the living God is just recording this historical fact. And he's speaking to Luke. This is years later. He's speaking to Luke and saying, I want you to write this down. This has great significance. Let's go forward here. Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered them. Are evil spirits real? According to the Bible, they are. And this evil spirit has the ability to speak. I won't go into great detail now, but this is just an introduction to Acts chapter 19. We'll go in deeper and we will see how Yeshua deal, dealt with evil spirits as revealed in the Gospels, the good news. Let's continue here. And the evil spirit answered them. It said, Yeshua, I know. And Shaul, I recognize. But you, who are you? Notice this. That when Yeshua was casting out a demon in a man, in the Gospels, he told them to be silent. Because they know this. The demonic beings know this. 
that one day Yeshua will proclaim his power and authority upon this earth as never before. And that will happen at his second coming. But know this, we have no fear to have over demonic people or demonic activity. He that dwells within you is greater than he that is in the world. Let's go forward here. Who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit fell upon them or jumped upon them. Overpowered them. Notice this. This is seven men. One man with incredible demonic power. Earlier today, Alan shared about in Genesis about the Nephilim. In Hebrew, which means fallen ones. Men of great strength, great unknown power. Since these Nephilim, recorded in Genesis chapter 6, were men of great strength, what did they lead the people to? To, to debauchery and an evil lifestyle. Corrupted the world. Could not these Nephilim of Genesis chapter 6 that are recorded, who were actual men, not be then possessed by demonic power to fulfill and corrupt the whole world? Let's continue here in verse number 16. Then the man with the evil spirit fell upon them and overpowered them and gave them such a beating that they ran from the house naked and bleeding. Notice this. These seven sons of Sceva were experienced in exorcism. But what did they try to do? They tried to use the name of Yeshua, who's the Messiah, as a magical potion so they could gain notoriety and fame to deliver this man from this demonic possession on his life. What were their alternative motives? But to use the name that is given above every name that every tribe and nation and people all the kings of the earth one day shall bow before him. They wanted to use that name for their own benefit. And God, through the Ruach HaKodesh, is not going to allow it to happen. God, who sits on the throne, allowed this demonic man to fall on these Men who are misguided and not having the full revelation of what the name of Yeshua is, and that is redemption. Yeshua's name means salvation. We are to honor the name of Yeshua. Let's go forward here. In verse 16. When all this became known to the residents of Ephesus, fear fell upon all of them. Fear of demons? No, the fear of God. Jews and Greeks alike, 
and the name of the Lord Yeshua came to be held in high regard. Let's go forward here. Verse 18, many of those who had early made professions of faith now came and admitted publicly to their evil deeds. Notice this, that the spirit of the living God convicted these brand new believers who were both Jews, male and female, who were God-fearers and proselytes, who came and embraced Yeshua as the Messiah. They did this by, by the unction and the encouragement of the Ruach HaKodesh. They started to proclaim that they have committed sins. Notice this. This isn't in the synagogue. This is throughout the whole area. Public confession of sin. They're doing teshuva. And what, what, what is happening here? Revival's happening. Let's continue. Verse 18. Many of those who had early made professions of faith now came and admitted publicly to their evil deeds. And a considerable number of those who had engaged in what? Occult practices. What is growing rapidly in Europe and throughout the world and even in America? Occult practices. What's coming up at the end of the month? Halloween. Are there witches, both male and female, and warlocks? This is their high holy day of the whole year. We're to expose these things as the occult. Let's go forward here. Verse 19, and a considerable number of those who engage in occult practices through their scrolls. What's written on these scrolls? Is it the Torah? No. Magic spells, how to do evil sacrifices, both animals and both humans. This literature, they took and they threw their scrolls in a pyre and burned them in public. What was this? They were now admitting that they've come to a saving knowledge of who Yeshua is. They're denying their pagan backgrounds. And this costs them a lot. They're making a public confession, I will no longer live as a pagan. And that which I had earned my own monies with, that would I sacrifice for and to, that which I esteemed as great, these occult practices, I now renounce. And I'm willing to put it under fire. And I will not go back to it. Let's go forward here. Verse 19. And considerable number of those who engage in the occult practices threw their scrolls in a pile and burned them in public. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to 50,000 drachmas. Later, as we get deeper, I will get into even more revelation of how much that is. That's into the millions of dollars. Let's move forward. Thus, the message about Yeshua continued in a powerful way to grow in influence. Sometime later, Shaul decided by the Spirit, notice this. He's making a decision. 
See, God does not want to go against our own free will. And we're getting instruction here. See, Rashua had his own free will, whether to enter in the city, go to this place or that. But now he decided by what? By the Spirit. He's agreeing. Yes, God, I hear your voice. You want to go do this? Now at this time, I'm going to go by ship. Am I, am, I, am I to walk? Am I to ride a, a camel? Am I to ride a donkey? Let's go forward. Sometime later, Shaul decided by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Acacia. Look at your maps. See where those places are. And then go where? To Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I must go where? To Rome. Now, is that because he want, he's heard about how great the Italian food is? And he liked to go there? He wants to go see the architecture and all this other stuff? He wants to get away and go on vacation? No, he wants to go there because the Spirit of living God is leading him there to go and speak to the what? The Romans. Who are the oppressors of the Jewish people in the land? Not only the land, but everywhere that Rav Shaul goes, but the Romans. But what do they need? They need Messiah Yeshua. They need to be saved. Let's go forward here quickly. So he dispatched two of his helpers, Timothy and Eratus, to Macedonia. But he himself remained in the providence of Asia for a while. It was at this time that the major fervor arose concerning the way. Notice that, the way, the truth, and life. The one way going to, the, to God the Father through his son Yeshua. Verse 24. There was a silversmith named Demetrius who had manufactured from silver objects connected with worship of the goddess Artemis. He provided no small amount of work for the craftsmen. He called a meeting of them, of those engaged in similar trades, and said, Men, you understand that this line of business provides for our living. And you can see and hear for yourselves that not only here in Ephesus, but in practically the whole providence of Asia. This Shaul has convinced and turned away a considerable crowd by saying that man-made gods are not gods at all. Now, the danger is not only that the reputation of our trade will suffer, but that the temple of our great goddess Artemis will come to be taken lightly. It could end up with godless, with the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the providence of Asia, and indeed throughout the whole world, being ignominiously brought down from her divine majesty. So he's trying, as a pagan man, he's appealing to, their, to both their greed and their trade, and then tries to now say, well, this is why I'm against the way, is that, you know what, our goddess She's going to be defamed. Let's go forward here. Hearing this, they were filled with rage and began bellowing, great as Artemis of the, the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. As one man, as one man, the mob rushed into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Artarchus, Shaul's, Shaul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Shaul himself wanted to appear before the crowd, but the Talmudim would not let him. Even some of the officials of the providence 
friends of his sent a message begging him not to risk entering the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing and others something else because the assembly was in complete confusion. And the great majority did not even know when they were, why they were there. Some of the crowd explained the situation to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed up to the front. So Alexander motioned for silence, hoping to make a defensive speech to the people. But as soon as they recognized that he was what? A Jew? They began bellowing in unison, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they kept it up for about two hours. Can you imagine that? For two hours, that's all they said. Let's continue here. At last, at last, the city clerk was able to be, was able to quiet the crowd. Men of Ephesus, he said, is there anyone who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and the sacred stone which fell from the sky? Since this is beyond dispute, you had better calm down and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who have neither robbed the temple nor insulated, insulted our, our goddess. So if Demetrius and her fellow craftsmen have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. The judges are there. Let them bring charges and countercharges. But is there, but is there something more you want? It would have to be settled in an unlawful assembly in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being accused of rioting on account of what has happened today. There is no justification for it. If we, if we are asked, will we be unable to give any reasonable explanation for this disorderly gathering? And with these words, he dismissed the assembly. See, this latter portion of Acts chapter 19 gives us a actual report what was going on in that day. And as we get deeper into this message sometime in the future, God will give us even greater revelation and illustration how we can conduct ourselves as being lights to proclaim and to build God's kingdom. No matter where we live, whether there's a pandemic or not, we are to be citizens first of heaven and then of the countries that God has allowed us to live. We're to be good citizens, pointing everyone to the God's kingdom, that it may be established in their hearts and that we are to be about the Father's business of building Talmudim. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shabbat Shalom.